Shalom, and welcome to the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators podcast series, Chanukah, Pesach, and Purim, Walk Into a Bar. Each episode, Rabbi Svi Hirschfeld will be joined by guest educators who will reveal the deeper meaning for each festival or year cycle event. The Talmud says when wine enters, secrets come out. So prepare to be intoxicated as our great educators each bring a text with them that encapsulates the spiritual essence and holy work of that time of year that will change our and our students' lives forever. Welcome to the bar. Hello, everyone, all of our listeners out there. We uh, are back with a slightly different title change. We are now when Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot walk into a bar, but the idea is still the same. Uh, we are here as Pardes educators to share some thoughts and insights uh, about the upcoming Chagim, uh, hopefully to inspire you, maybe to give you some things that you can use to inspire your students and colleagues, uh, and hopefully make uh, the experience of the Chagim uh, more meaningful. So here it is. We are in Chodesh Elul. We are in the month of Elul, and Rosh Hashanah is almost upon us. Uh, and I am delighted that we are joined both by Dr. David Bernstein, the Dean of Pardes, and Aviva Lauer, the Director of the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators here at the Pardes Institute. Uh, and they have each brought texts and insights uh, that they are going to share. So without any further ado, uh, I will hand things over to uh, David Bernstein. Welcome, David. Thank you, Tzvi. Um, so uh, I'm going to speak about what is uh, my favorite and probably many people's favorite tefillah from Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and that is Unatana Tokef, uh, probably the most emotional-laden prayer of Yomim Noraim for many people. We say it three times on Musaf of each day of Rosh Hashanah and then on Yom Kippur again during Musaf. <clears throat> uh, some people know it, or at least part of it, from Leonard Cohen's song, Who by Fire. Uh, and uh, I would say it's worth it to buy the Korah and Rosh Hashanah Machzer, if only for Rabbi Jonathan Sachs' commentary of this tefillah. Uh, just to quote one line from it, Rabbi Sachs writes that this prayer is, quote, the equivalent in words to one of the great religious paintings by Michelangelo or Rembrandt, end quote. So with just limited time, I want to focus on the middle parts of this beautiful prayer, probably the most likely to bring at least me to tears uh, often during the Amim Noreim services, uh, and the question is why? The question is why is this prayer so likely to touch our emotions? Um, it seems to me the refrain reminds us of the importance of these days. On Rosh Hashanah, the decree is written. On Yom Kippur, it is sealed. But the next lines, for me, highlight the uncertainty of the future. We just don't know what will happen to us or to our loved ones or the world in the coming days. In early 2016, who would have imagined that Donald Trump would be the Republican nominee for president? And who could imagine he would be elected president of the United States? Even his closest advisors were shocked as late as election night. Who would have thought a decade ago that the state of Syria would implode? causing hundreds of thousands to die and millions to become homeless. And so the prayer says to us, who will die? 
who this coming year will be diagnosed with a terrible disease. Looking back on last year, we probably know someone who was healthy and died suddenly or was diagnosed with life-threatening illness that even if they survive will change their lives forever. Who will be born? Who will become pregnant this year? Which woman battling infertility will have her prayers finally answered? Which couple seeking to adopt a child will finally meet with success? We just don't know. Who by water? Who by fire? Do we know where there will be terrible flooding this coming year, taking lives and damaging, even washing away people's homes? Who will die by fire, literal fire and the fire of terrorist attacks? Who by sword? Who by beast? Who will be killed in war? And who by car accidents? Who by hunger? Who by thirst? Who by earthquake? Who by plague? Who will be calm? Who will be harassed? Who will be at ease? Who will suffer? Who will become poor? Who will become rich? Will the stock market rise or take a nosedive? Will the world economy grow or fall into recession or depression? We don't know. Who will be cast down and who raised high? A year ago, Harvey Weinstein was sitting on top of the world. Where is he now? Who else will be shamed and lose their power this year? We don't know. Who will be the new heroes in this coming year? We don't know. These are frightening words, scenarios we can't predict. The prayer could end there. <clears throat> it could leave us hanging. Or it could just conclude by saying God is omnipotent, omniscient, and we are helpless. Instead, it points us in a direction. Action. Repentance, prayer, and charity avert the evil of the decree. I want to go beyond this specific prescription and see it more generically. This prayer is saying to us that we can determine our fate. We can do something about it. We are not totally helpless. Despite all the uncertainty, there are things we can do. We shouldn't be passive. We should take action to make this coming year a successful one for us. We are, in the end, empowered by this prayer. Wow. Okay. Nothing like starting out nice and light for the, uh, the opening of Eva. Do you have some reactions, questions? Yeah, I mean, yes. I, it, you said at the beginning, David, that this was one of, one of you know, the favorite tefillot of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and I actually kind of feel like it's also one of the dreaded, you know, it really puts the, you know, no ra in the yamim no ra'im, the awful, awesome, I don't know, in the days of awe. It really is, it's a little bit scary. So I, I absolutely take what you're saying about the proactive nature, really, the proactive message of this tefillah, but it's, but what do we do with the, what do, this is really my, my question. What do we do even if we're proactive, we do as much as we can, and yet still, we know things happen to people. As, as healthy as they are, as, you know, eat healthy, exercise, whatever, you know, things happen. So, like, what's the answer to that? I'm also wondering, that the, it's so theologically loaded. You know, if you're teaching, what's our message? Does God make all these things happen? Can God stop these things from happening if we just pray in the right way? Like, how would you respond if you were you know, teaching students who threw that, you know, that, that theological question in front of you in terms of this prayer. Mm -hmm. 
So these are great points and great questions. And yes, I think it does put the Nora on the Amim Noraim um, and, and evoke strong emotions. I, I think that's, that's certainly true, and I think it's designed to do that. Um, look, you know, I don't have an answer, you know, for like why God does what uh, God does, and uh, you know, n- none of us, I think, can can presume to know all of those answers. Um, but you know, again, I I come to this from a place of seeing Jewish life as a partnership between human beings and God. You know, from creation, we are told that we're supposed to do something in the world. We're supposed to guard the world. We're supposed to protect the world. We're supposed to make the world a better place. And yes, there are obstacles in the way. And yes, our power is limited. And we don't have complete control. And that uncertainty, uh, I think, is an important part of our lives. Um, and a, a part of our lives that uh, Judaism says, despite the uncertainty, go ahead and act. Uh, don't be passive. Don't be paralyzed uh, by the fact that we don't have all the cards in our hands. Uh, so with the limited abilities we have, we nonetheless are pushed uh, to be doing something, doing something to improve ourselves, doing something to improve the world around us, and and beyond that, uh, to uh, to work with other people and to pray for the best. You know, it occurred to me maybe that line about shuvat filan stakah right? That repentance and prayer and and staka remove. Maybe it's not remove the evil decree, but maybe take some of the evil out of the decree. Mm-hmm. In other words, that certain things are going to happen, even bad things. We're not going to know why. Uh, I mean, we're not meant to know why, but maybe if we sort of strengthen ourselves in certain ways and sort of teach ourselves to appreciate or trust that there is this larger picture out there that all these things are a part of, then maybe these decrees don't feel evil in the same way or we're able to withstand them uh, with greater strength and even with a certain amount of optimism as opposed to just this fatalistic, you know, what's the point type of uh, attitude. But uh, I think uh, the questions are still very, very strong. So moving on to that, we're going to go on to uh, my colleague and friend, Aviva. Aviva, what did you bring for us? Well, you know, it was a really hard decision. There were actually like four different texts that I was trying to decide on until like three minutes ago, actually. (laughs) Um, But I... Gosh, there's so much more to talk about David's text. Okay, fine, we won't talk about it now. Maybe next year. But that now this is making me think a lot. Um, I, what I decided to bring in the end was a, um, a piyut, a poem um, from Shacharit of uh, Rosh Hashanah. And it's the piyut of Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Yimloch Le'olam Va'ed. And I'll tell you a little bit about what it says, but also I think I want to um, front load by saying why I brought this. So Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Yimloch Le'olam Va'ed. Um, I'm going to use the um, the Koran translation, and then maybe we will amend or change. Um, the Lord is king, the Lord was king, and the Lord shall be king forever and ever. Um, yeah, I really like to think of it actually as a, 
um, as a verb, you know, uh, not as a noun. So if anybody else wants to jump in with it, meaning not that um, the Lord is king, maybe the Lord rules or something, something having to do with uh, monarchy, kingship, coronation, all of those things. The reason that this is so important to me to bring this particular piyut, and there are so many like it, um, with the same theme on Rosh Hashanah, is that that, for me, is what Rosh Hashanah is all about. The whole, like, thinking about the coming year is definitely part of it for me. But the main focus for me on this first day of the year is to say, God, we're crowning you king again. We're cr- and, and it's so exciting. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a big nerd. I find this so exciting every year to crown God again and to say, God, you are God. Let's celebrate that. Um, so for me, that's what this is all about. It's a celebration. It's a coronation. Let's go back to um, Queen Elsa and her coronation day for a lot of, you don't even know what I'm talking about. I don't know. No, no. <laughs> okay. Um, Frozen. The movie is Frozen. And Queen, Princess Elsa is becoming Queen Elsa and her sister, Anna, wakes up and sings a song about coronation day. That is like super exciting for everybody there. Yeah, it's exciting. You're getting you you're getting a new you're getting a new ruler. And for all of the anti-monarchists among the listeners, it's a we're not yeah we're not talking about you know Queen Elizabeth here, right? This is this is God. So I am going to just read a couple of lines here um, and translate. Um, okay, the way this works is there are three lines per stanza. And each one, each of the, the lines ends with, first, the, the first line in each stanza is Hashem Melech. Then the second line ends with Hashem Alach. And the third line um, ends with Hashem Yimloch. So, Adirei Ayuma Ya'adiru Vekol Hashem Melech. Um, the mighty among this awe-inspiring nation shall mightily proclaim aloud, the Lord is King. Bru'e Varak Yivarchu Vekol Hashem Malach. The angels formed from lightning shall bless aloud. The Lord was king. Gibure gova yagbiru vekol Hashem yimloch. The angelic heroes on high shall forcefully proclaim aloud. The Lord shall be king. And then there's the refrain for the um, chorus. Hashem melech, Hashem alach, Hashem yimloch leolam ve'ed. And so the, I think besides, of course, the root of kingship or monarchy, um, or crowning. Um, besides that root of melech, there's also this idea of saying it aloud. Bikol is, re- is repeated in every line. And I love that. I love the, we're saying this out loud. We are loud and proud and excited. So I'm not going to go, oh yeah, also it, it's in alphabetical order. There's a, there's a line for each letter in the alphabet. Um, yeah, I love it. It's exciting. Okay. David, what are your reactions to uh, <clears throat> questions you might have for Aviva's uh, choice? Well, first of all, um, it, uh, I'm wondering what you would say, Aviva, uh, to a teacher uh, whose students don't necessarily believe in God. Mm-hmm. I was um, waiting for that question. Uh, 
but uh, but I when when I when I heard you choose this piyut, I could only think of some of the tunes right. that Chazanim <laughs> have used uh, over the years in shuls I've been in that uh, make this piyut so beautiful. It really is a very very beautiful uh, song uh, when it's adapted to to melody. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful piyot. You know, it, it strikes me, especially the way you presented it, this like internal tension. On the one hand, uh, the the we're saying how we're going to proclaim God as king, but then the the core the chorus line is God's always been king. So then, what are we doing that's new? Uh, and then that made me ask the question in the sense of, so what does it mean to coronate God who's already king and what does that mean about us? What is that calling upon for us to do? And sort of what's your takeaway on that? Yeah. But so, you can solve David's God problem first if you would like. Yeah, I think I'm going to solve the problem second, except I'm not going to solve it. But, um, yeah, I think I, I think to answer your question, Svi, I'm going to ask you another question, which is... It's very Talmudic of you. I know. I'm so Talmudic. Um, what? why then do we do every single holiday? Why do we celebrate every holiday or festival or fast day again each year? Like if we already did it once, why do we need to do it again? I mean, and of course the answer is we're always in a different place. The year cycle in Judaism is is all about reflection and acknowledgement. So where we are right now, it was a full year ago, right? And just like David was talking about before, like a lot happens in a year. Um, and so from where I am right now, I am re-accepting God or I am re-crowning God. Fun fact, I found this out at some point, that there is no verb coronate, but I still say it. So just letting you know you're okay with having said it. We say crown. You're crowning God, not coronating. But but it's okay. Um, so to think about David's question, that's, yeah, it's a really hard one. But what I would do probably is I, I would bring um, videos. There's, there are amazing videos of Queen Elizabeth's coronation in 1952, I think is the year, mm-hmm. British mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. I don't know, something like that. And uh, you could tell me. Um, it's pretty amazing. And the pomp and circumstance, and the uh, even if you're not into the, the monarchy, it's a really... It's a time to just like stand and think for a moment. And I would also bring the whole, anything having to do, depending on the age, anything to do with um, crowning someone king or queen can get children to think about this great, like this great, or to get them to feel maybe, a feeling of greatness, something bigger. So even if God as God's self in the way, you know, that, that we are talking about God is not something that's a appealing to them than um, this idea of the universe. You know, this idea of let's just be conscious of like everything that's out there and be silent for a moment and then say, yeah, like there is something big out there. Let's be conscious of it. Beautiful. You know, we usually think of the shofar in terms of trying to wake us up from our slumber, our spiritual slumber and bringing us back uh, to improve ourselves, but the shofar itself is an element in the coronation ceremony. Absolutely, um, exactly. And, uh, and <clears throat> Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has a beautiful vort where he quotes Rabbi Soloveitchik <clears throat> speaking about uh, his childhood uh, and uh, how his teacher would ask him, do you know what Rosh Hashanah is? 
it's the night of coronation. And do you know who does the coronation? The coronation's done by Yankel the tailor, Beryl the shoemaker, Zalman the water carrier, Yossel the painter, David the butcher, meaning we're the ones who are doing the coronation. Absolutely. Beautiful. I, I certainly, at different times during Rosh Hashanah, I, th I try to hear the shofar differently. And for me, it's the trumpet sounding of whatever the sound is supposed to sound like when you crown um, a queen or king. Okay. Well, actually, it fits well into the, uh, it's a good segue. Uh, the text that I chose is a commentary from the Nitivot Shalom, the Slonim Rebbe, writing about the meaning of the shofar. And he says the, the, the shofar's job, or at least one of them, and he draws on the story of Joshua and bringing the walls down, is that uh, he says that every Jew, or I guess every person really, experiences all these walls between them and God. The God is in the castle, if you will. The king is in the castle. And Beryl the uh, tailor is, is as far away from the castle as can be. And as much as uh, Beryl wants to get to see God, there are all these walls in the way. And he says the job of the shofar is to break down the walls. That the shofar goes, and then the walls are broken. But then he adds something fascinating. He says when Beryl finally gets inside, he realizes the walls were never there in the first place. Right? Th those walls were, were somehow projected or in his mind, even though he needed the shofar to break through, after he's in, he realizes he was never out. Uh, and there's something very beautiful about that paradox of, on the one hand, we're supposed to work so hard. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the relationship was already there all the time. And, and it occurred to me to think about, even if you just wanted to apply this to human relationships, uh, people in our lives that we can feel so distant from and feel that there are all these barriers that have now are in, between us, but sometimes if we push through them, we discover that really the connection was always present uh, all the way through. We just couldn't see it or we couldn't uh, act on it. So for me, that, that idea of, on the one hand, entering this time of year really with a certain amount of, uh, I don't know if it's fear or a sense of sadness, this feeling of, where am I right now? I'm not where I really want to be, and what's it going to take for me to get there? And this reassuring sense that, well, maybe I never really left, and I'm really, a piece of me at least, is, has always stayed there the whole time. Beautiful. Sometimes I think that all it takes is for somebody to say to you, think about it in a totally different way, and then you'll be in a totally different place personally. That has happened to me. Just change your attitude. No, that's like a horrible thing to say to people most of the time. Just change your attitude. Like, that's very, very hard. But on myself, I know that it's worked. Like, it changes everything. You just say it's not, no, no, see it differently. Like, you really were in the whole time. And now, of course, what are you going to do with that? But maybe the work is not as hard as, as we think. I love that idea <clears throat> that there are walls, <clears throat> but the walls are imaginary. Um, but nonetheless, they're real, because they're in our mind. And it's so true about so many things in our lives. You know, as we look forward to a new year, as we look forward to how we can improve ourselves whether it's physically or whether it's emotionally or whether it's in any other way, you know, there's so many mental blocks that we have that are just in our mind, and that's what we really need to break through. They're not objectively there, but they're very powerful 
nonetheless. Yeah, the, the phrase dressed in our mind, it's like, it's very, on the one hand, that's true. It may not physically be there. On the other hand, what's more powerful, what determines our lives more than our mind or our attitude or our way of experiencing the world or seeing the world? Uh, so yeah, for me, it, it sets up a very powerful challenge, but also a lot of promise. So we have a couple minutes here. I'm, I'm looking, Ruvain is going to signal me when we go over our time. And I'd sort of like to ask uh, each of you, and I'll chime in at the end also, either related to your text or not, what do you feel like you're working on? Or what core message are, do you feel like you're uh, working with for yourself or, or for students or for those around you this coming Rosh Hashanah? Um, I didn't grow up in an observant home and for many years Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur was a time when I was uh, growing in ritual observance and I was trying to do something I hadn't done before uh, and that was for a certain period of my life um at a certain point, maybe because I've grown wiser as I've gotten older, or maybe not, um, I realize that uh, the more difficult things are the way we relate to other people, uh, which also involves mitzvahs. It's also God-commandedness. And the way we relate to other people who are made B'Tselem Elohim, in the image of God. Uh, and uh, actually, one of the things that I mentioned to my wife that I want to work on uh, is that uh, in the last few years uh, because there are so many charlatans uh, I've uh, I've been very selective about who I give tzedakah to. People who walk into shul at the end of Minyan or people on the street uh, and my wife who's a uh, psychotherapist has pointed out certain individuals who come to our door and say that's a drug addict I know maybe we shouldn't be giving that person money. And uh, I've come to the conclusion that uh, it's hardened me a little bit. And even if it's only a shekel, I'm going to try this year to get out of that habit and uh, give everyone who asks me for money something. And by giving more cycle, you might be in the Roa Xera. You'll be removing the evil decree. Even Either. better. Even better. Amen. So... I think in terms of where we want to, where I want to take myself and also students is to, to give that message of, um, it's kind of, it's a message of stop and mark the day. Stop and pay attention to the world around you. Step back for a second and look inside yourself. I think there's just this like, see the greatness see the problems, you know, see what you can do to help. Um, think a little bit, right? We're so, we run all the time. We're, you know, we're thinking all the time uh, only about the next second and the next, you know, piece of work we have to do or the next assignment we have to turn in and somehow to get across to our, ourselves and our students that there is so much, it's, there's so much value in slowing down and thinking for just a little bit. Beautiful. So I think my own takeaway goes back to those walls. You know, how many beliefs do I have about myself, about others, about God, about my community that have put up walls? 
and are convincing me to not move forward towards the relationship with those things that I feel I can have or want to have uh, or make me a better person if I had them. So I guess getting a lot of clarity about what obstacles are real and what have, which ones have been self-imposed or projected, and then uh, you know finding tools like the shofar to really uh, work on uh, preventing those beliefs or attitudes or uh, from preventing me from becoming the person that uh, I would like to become or maybe have potential to become. So we are out of time. I want to thank uh, both David Bernstein and Aviva Lauer for their wise insights and help. And if you're listening to this podcast, I think the main message you should take away, which you can, al- you can already see, is that please don't walk into Rosh Hashanah ha- totally unprepared. And by pre- I understand prep- and preparation means more than making sure you've bought the dessert and made the soup and invited all the guests. All those things are really important. Uh, and the new clothing and everything else, that's all terrific and great. But it's awfully hard for the tefillah to be meaningful if you haven't looked it over a little bit beforehand. It's awfully difficult for the idea of crowning God as king to be meaningful to you if you haven't given some thought to what that might mean to you beforehand. So we urge you to consider part of your preparation for all of these holidays is to think about uh, what they mean and also what they might mean to you. So on that note, we want to wish all of you the happiest and healthiest and sweetest new year. And we will talk to you again before Yom Kippur. Thank you for listening. For more great content, go to elmad.pardes.org. See you next time.